0: Have your Bibles, I invite you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. We're going to be uh, looking at this entire chapter this morning. And uh, as you make your way there, a few comments before you get there. Uh, First, uh, if you've been tracking with us, Paul has been actually unpacking the same topic of divisions and dissensions in the church. He started that in 1 Corinthians 1, where he says, It's been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is divisions among you. Some follow Paul and Cephas and Apollos in Christ. And you'll notice that Apollos and Paul come up again in chapter four, that we're at a scene. Paul is about to transition topics, beginning in chapter five, and he's gonna go through a series of uh, struggles in the life of Corinth, but this is a scene. This is his sort of closing words on the topic of divisions and dissensions. Secondly, uh, narrowly speaking, Paul really is talking about leaders in the church. That is, that is the us. This is how one should regard us. He's talking about himself and Apollos and any of us who will lead God's people in the church. But broadly speaking, he's talking to pastors and missionaries, ruling elders, teaching elders, deacons, leaders of women, parents in the home, or any sphere where God's people are leading, this passage is relevant. Third, uh, to my knowledge, I have no hidden agenda. One of the beauties of preaching through God's word is you actually have to deal with whatever is in front of you. And so this week, it's a word on leaders— and leadership. And this isn't just for followers and how they approximate leaders. I think another healthy way to read this passage is it's for leaders, for us to consider how we approximate ourselves and how we lead God's people. And so I think all of that is going on. So 1 Corinthians 4, This is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should not be judged by you or any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself, for I'm not aware of anything against myself, but I'm not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. I have applied all these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, brothers and sisters, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up in favor of one against another. For who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? And then you received it. Why do you boast as if you did not receive it? Already you have all you want. Already you have become rich. Without us you have become kings. And would that you did reign so that we might share the rule with you. For I think that God has exhibited us apostles as last of all, like men sentenced to death, because we have become a spectacle to the world, to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are held in honor, but we in disrepute. To this present hour, we hunger and thirst. We are poorly dressed and buffeted and homeless. And we labor working with our own hands. When reviled, we blessed. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. We become and are still like the scum of the world, the refuse of all things. I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urge you then be imitators of me. That is why I sent you, Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere in every church. Some are arrogant as though I were not coming to you, but I will come to you soon if the Lord wills, and I will find out not the talk of these arrogant people, but their power. For the kingdom of God is not consist in talk, but in power. What do you wish? Shall I come to you with a rod or with love and a spirit of gentleness? Amen. Let's pray. <laughs> Father in heaven, your word is true. And this is how you sanctify your people. It is through your word. Father, there are difficult things in your word. The apostles acknowledge that. And yet, Lord, every word of scripture is breathed out from the mouth of the Lord. Every word of scripture is profitable for our right understanding of you and the mysteries of the Lord that you have hidden in Christ that you are now making disclosed in this final age. And so, Father, I pray that you will speak through your servant, that you will take this text and make it alive, and that you will apply it to our hearts, that we might see the world and the church and leaders and leadership as you do. Forgive us of our sins, Lord, I pray for Jesus' sake. Amen. So not long ago, I was driving, and there was a car in front of me covered with bumper stickers. And my first thought was, can you see out of your rear view window? And my second thought was, bumper stickers really do say a lot about us. Just from driving behind this person, I knew that they were a family, and there were three kids and a dog and a cat. Just by following this person, I I knew that they ran marathons and half marathons. Uh, I knew kind of what political leanings uh, they embraced. And there were a, a host of other stickers, but the one that caught my attention was the bumper sticker, Question Authority. Question Authority. Two words on the back of that car that does nail one aspect of our cultural moment. There is a general suspicion of leaders. Just read the paper or watch the news and you'll read and hear about failures of coaches, politicians, scandals. And this really does breed a mistrust of leadership. Hearing words like submit, that it sounds dangerous in an environment where authority is abused. But next to worldly leaders' failures, you'll also find church leaders' failures. That priests have molested children. Churches have protected its brand or image more than its care for people. Pastors have gotten entangled and ensnared in all types of sin. And so that mistrust of leadership, it's not just out in the world. It comes into the church. And on the other hand, we live in a celebrity culture where it's really easy to pedestal people. This famous person says this, and we believe it. This famous, famous person wears this, and we wear it. And this attitude also spills over into the church. Church leaders can become larger than life. Pastors can have people hanging on every single word that comes from their mouths. It's easy for leaders to want to be pedestaled, to go unchecked and uncorrected. And it feels like that pendulum swings from from idolatry to disdain. And this is what Paul encounters in Corinth. They were guilty of exalting leaders to the point that they were boasting in leaders. And in this same church, they were guilty of belittling God's servants, especially Paul. Verse 6, they were going beyond what is written, becoming puffed up in favor of one another. And here's what we know about leadership that leadership isn't bad. Bad leadership is bad. But if you go and read the scriptures, one of God's greatest gifts to the church, go read Ephesians, when Jesus Christ ascended. He gave gifts, and he gave to the church, apostles and prophets and pastors and teachers. The passage that Wilson read from Jeremiah, one of the things that will overflow in this new age is King Jesus will remove and be removing shepherds who want to destroy the flock, and he will be raising up shepherds who will love the flock. Read Hebrews, the end of the book ends on the note of leaders, leaders who are keeping watch over your soul, honor them, pray for them, obey them, as unto the Lord, and leaders, don't do this with a grumbling spirit. Do it knowing that one day we will give an account. Jesus isn't wiping away leadership. He's putting good leadership in place. And that means that as a church, even though we hear and feel and feel this pull that's in the world to pedestal or to push over or to dismiss leaders, you can't avoid it in the Bible. And I think what Paul is doing in this passage is orienting us around some beautiful truths that leaders should remember. He says, I have applied these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, that you might not go beyond and I might add or below how God would have you view us. Paul is saying that it is beneficial. It is beneficial. That we stay right there where God would have us. Charles Spurgeon and I also found out that John Calvin said something very, very similar. It says, the Apostle Paul was anxious to be rightly viewed and accounted for. Servants of the Lord are not often estimated rightly. As they rule, they are either gloried in or despised, worshiped as God or detested. It will be for the advantage of the church and for our own benefit as leaders and for the glory of the Lord if we were put in our right places. And kept there, being neither overrated nor unduly condemned, but viewed in our proper relation to the Lord. That's what I think Paul is doing in this passage. What should we think about leaders? What should leaders know? Who should leaders be becoming? How should those we lead view us? Right. All of that is kind of happening. And I think that's helpful. It's helpful here. We have men in our officer training class now. We have leaders who lead in women's ministry and lead our youth and lead our children. That the church is full of lay leaders. It's full of clergy. What might God want us to remember about leadership? Here's the first thing. I think Paul gives us some pictures for godly leaders to keep in mind. Now, I think these pictures that we're going to unpack, that it's not just for the church to say, this is what leaders are to be like. I think these pictures are also there for leaders to say, this is who we should be becoming. This is who we are in Christ. And so it's working both ways. Now, notice what Paul says. He says, this is how one should regard us, verse 1. That us is not just himself. It's him and Apollos and those who will labor in the kingdom. But what pictures? I think Paul gives us three that I want us to think about this morning. The first is the picture of a servant. The second is the picture of a steward. And the third is that of a spiritual parent. So these are all under one, that one point. Now, let's take some time to consider these words. First, servants. You see it right there in verse 1. There are numerous words for servants in the New Testament. Doulos, Paul's going to use that in chapter 7, verse 21. Diakonos, Paul used that word in chapter 3, verse 5. But the word for servant here is a different one. It's a a word that comes from um, sea travel or seafaring, that the word could be translated an under rower under rower or an under oarsman this is someone who rowed in the galley of the ship this isn't a prestigious position someone above the ship in the sunlight this is the person down below the first deck this is the person who is rowing at the bottom and the conditions were tough they were hidden from plain sight and their eyes were on the coxswain. And then Paul switches images. He says that we're also stewards of the mysteries of the Lord, of, of God. That word for stewards is oikonomos. Blumberg says that this is the highest ranking servant of a wealthy landowner who was in charge of an entire estate in his master's absence. So, in Paul's day, a wealthy landowner might go away and travel. And this was before a time of email where you could just sign contracts on DocuSign. This was before automobiles. This is before trains where, where wealthy owners would literally leave their home for months and sometimes years on end. And what that wealthy owner would do was to go amongst their servants and appoint their highest servant to oversee their household. Now, here's the thing about that highest servant. The highest servant had authority, but it was delegated authority. It was authority given to this highest servant over the household. And so this highest servant had authority, but it was not ultimate authority. The highest servant only had the authority to execute what the owner wanted. And the owner and this, this this servant also labored with this thing at the forefront of their minds, that master is returning, and this is only temporary. And when master returns, I must give an account to master. That's the third image or picture. That Paul uses he says he's a steward and that's not it you go down to verses 14 through 17 you see this spiritual parenting language began to surface notice what Paul says we're not write these things to make you ashamed but to admonish you as my beloved what? what what's the word after that children all right so so underline that for though you have countless guides that were for guide is guardian or tutor. And in Paul's day, the guardian or the tutor was another servant who would oftentimes have a stick in their hand. And their goal was to make sure that they walked the child to school and walked the child home to keep the child out of trouble. But notice what Paul says, you may have thousands of guardians or the or or these types of of guides but notice what he says but you do not have many fathers underline that for i became your father in christ jesus through the gospel notice what he says about timothy in verse 17 this is why i sent you timothy my beloved and faithful child now here's what we know about paul paul had the right to take a believing wife but he did not make use of that, of that right. But make no mistake about it. Paul was a family man. His family was the church. And he loved the church. And he loved the Corinthians. He stayed there a year and a half. And from what we know from the book of Acts at least, the only other place who got that much time with Paul was Ephesus. We also know that Paul, in Paul's writings, Paul writes his longest epistle is Romans. 7,000 words to the Romans. You know how many words just in this Bible that comes to the Corinthians? 11,300. Do you hear what Paul is saying? You have a lot of guides, but I'm your father. And that helps us explain, right? The last verse, because I saw some of you when I read that last verse, 21, what shall I come with a rod or in love? Like, please don't think that Paul's going to come and literally like beat the Corinthians. This is fatherhood. I love you, discipline you in the Lord type of language, but Paul loves them. He's not a hireling. And these three images are countercultural to what we see in leaders in our day. Worldly rulers, according to Jesus, lord their authority over their people. Jesus' own disciples says, Jesus, can we see at your right hand and your left hand when you come in your glory? And Jesus says, look, that, is my, that might be how they do it out there. But this shall not be named among you. Those of you who want to be great, you must be a servant of all. Those of you who want to be great, you must be a slave. In other words, Paul is echoing the same language that leadership in the church is not about an ascent up. It's about a descent down. Down. Down down where we serve and we wash feet and we weep and we do the menial things that no one sees that we're like the under oarsmen we're not the ones on the front trying to soak in all the glory we are pleased to let the glory go to another It's a pleasure to serve you, my good and faithful master. Put me out of the way to make your name great. It's not about lording authority over people, but it's about faithfully discharging our duties until the master returns. It's about understanding that all authority that even leaders have has been given and it can be taken away. And leadership in the church is not cold and distant, not like the hired tutor who carries a stick in hand. It is like a father whose love is near and tender. It's like the love of the father that we just sang about. And truth be told, these three images converge in a person, don't they? They converge in Jesus. If you want to see what true leadership looks like, look at Jesus. Look at him when he dresses himself to wash his disciples' feet. Look at him when he's at Lazarus' funeral and the Jews, his enemies, look at him and say, see how he loved them. Look at him when he is on a cross, enduring shame for our sake. That is leadership. The next thing Paul reminds us of as leaders and of the church is that there are problems that leaders face. So the first thing is pictures for godly leaders to keep in mind, servants, stewards, spiritual parents. But Paul is also honest about The problems that leaders encounter as you lead. And this is true, right? In your home, you have children and lead them. It's going to be hard. You get married. It's going to be hard. You lead a company. It's going to be hard. In other words, I think Paul is honest That leadership is not for the faint of heart. There's some problems that leaders face. There's a man by the name of Gary Hawkins. He was a contestant on the reality show Survivor in 2005. Only his real name was not Gary Hawkins. His real name is Gary Hogboom. And he was a retired NFL quarterback from 1980 to 1990. He played for the Dallas Cowboys, the Indianapolis Coast, the Phoenix Cardinals, and the Washington Redskins. Now they're the commanders. And he was a clear leader. And having played in the NFL, his age, his marriage, the fact that he's a father to five children, you could just see him kind of on the show standing out as a leader. But you know what he did? He gave them a false identity. He didn't tell them who he really was. He said, my name is Gary Hawkins, and I'm a landscaper. Until somebody on Survivor recognized him and says, you're not Gary Hawkins, I know who you are. And he eventually got voted off the island, and they did an interview, why did you lie? Like, why did you try to conceal your identity? And here's what he writes, I didn't want to be a leader, because the leaders get voted off the island first. You catch that? <laughs> he already knew the deal. He already knew that the moment he rises to be a leader, that man, they, do, they will not want me around. Ruth Haley Barton goes on to say that most people in leadership for any length of time can resonate with this statement. The choice, the call to lead something, to orient your life towards some vision and to lead in that direction opens you up to a world of pain that you may have not to otherwise face had you not signed up to be a leader. And this is what's happening in Corinth. Leaders are facing challenges leading these people. Now, to be fair to scripture, It's not always the people, right? It's not always the people. We know that from the book of Acts. Paul says, I know after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw the disciples after them. Who was Paul talking to? He was talking to the elders of the church in Ephesus. And so Paul is saying, I see what's going to happen. Go read Ezekiel 34, where, where the Lord is against the shepherds, right? So here's what I'm not saying. I am not saying that the problems of leading is always out there. The Bible is going to say, no, it's going to be right here. But sometimes the body is torn apart because of the body. Exodus 32, Moses was on a mountain. Moses was the one who talked to God. God talked to him as a friend. God's fingerprints are writing the law on the tablets. And do you know what was happening at the bottom of the mountain? The people, it says the people gathered to themselves and the people got, commanded Aaron, you get up and you make us God. So who shall we go before us? We don't know what happened to this Moses fellow. And Aaron got up and did it. And then the Lord and Moses get into this tussling match. And the Lord says, hey, your people that you brought out of Egypt. They're stiff necked You don't even know what they're down there doing. Get out of my way. Let me blot them out in my anger. And then Moses is the Lord. No, no, they're your people. You brought them out. And so here is Moses and the Lord going back and forth over the people of Israel because they have corrupted themselves. Now, turn to First Corinthians 10. Turn over there a few chapters. Notice what Paul's about to write, and I want y'all to see it. For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud, all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses, and they all drank the same, they ate the same spiritual food, they drank the same spiritual drink, for they, for, for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them. The rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Look at verse six. Now these things took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were as it is written. The people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. We must not indulge in sexual morality as some of them did. We must not put Christ to the test as some of them did. Nor grumble as some of them did. These things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. Now, go back to 1 Corinthians 4. Do you kind of see what's happening here? That when Paul thinks about Moses and Moses's leadership in the wilderness and the people Moses was leading, he's actually seeing the same sins in Corinth. They grumbled against Moses, and y'all are grumbling against leaders. They were sexually immoral, and y'all are sexually immoral. They put God to the test, and y'all are putting God to the test. That, That in other words, I think when you read 1 Corinthians 4, They wanted to put up more leaders, and they're doing it the same way in Corinth. That Paul, that Moses is like, I'm not an eloquent man. I can't speak. And the Lord says, go tell Pharaoh. And Moses tells God, the people won't even listen to me. How do you think Pharaoh will listen to me? And that's what Paul is battling. You're not eloquent. You're not a sophist. Apollos is better than you. Peter is better than you. They're prideful. They're passing judgment on Paul. Do you see what's happening here? These are difficulties that come with leading. Leaders lead anything, and you will encounter difficulty. Why? Because we ourselves are sinners. I don't think we can say what Paul says. Paul says, actually, I'm not aware of anything against myself. Look, I'm not saying I I will not say that. (laughs) I'm aware of a lot against myself, right? I'm not an apostle. Leaders are sinners. We aren't always right and we fall short and we are in process and we need correction Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Reprove a man of understanding and he will gain knowledge. Leaders grow through hearing where we've fallen short. And that makes leadership hard. But leadership is also hard because look around the room. We're all sinners, and we're all broken. And we're all in process. And God hasn't finished the work that He started in you. And so don't be surprised when leading in the church looks like leading people in Corinth, that looks like leading people in the wilderness. You know why? We're not home yet, we're in process. And here's the good news. As hard as leadership is, those we lead are still God's people. They're his people. His name is on them. He loves them. He's at work in them. Which moves us to our final point. The power to lead faithfully. We're servants, we're stewards, we're spiritual parents, and it's going to be hard. Where's the power? The power to leave faithfully. I think what Paul does here is masterful. He does not give up on them, nor does he give in to them, jettisoning biblical conviction. Where does the power to love and stick with and be courageous come from? Leaders need this. Pastors need this. Parents, don't we need this? Don't we don't we don't want to cower in and cuddle up and be liked by our children. Right. If we do that and jettison all principles, that is foolish. And if we abandon it and leave them over, that too is foolish. And so the issue becomes, how can we, in all of the complexity, all of the difficulty, how can we stay the course where we neither go to the right nor the left, but we stay the course and love and lead faithfully? Here's what Paul's going to remind us. That our identity is not primarily in what we do, but in whose we are. Well, before we're called to lead anything, you were called into the arms of Jesus long before you had the joy of making him known to others. You found joy in knowing him and being known by him long before we long to make his grace evident to others. We learn to experience it and him for ourselves. And long after the curtain calls on our leadership, this temporary role of leading, we will enjoy him in eternity forever. And this is what we see in the text. Paul's leadership is shaped by and flows from his being led, loved, and lavished with all grace in Christ. And this is what anchors him. This is what gives him courage and wisdom and patience and love. And here are five things that I think empower and make possible faithful, godly leadership. The first. Notice verse one. Paul doesn't just say he's a servant. He's a servant of Christ. And leaders got to remember that. We're not ultimately the servants of people. Though that is true. Like rowers, we may not know the way. Like in, in, in Paul's day when you rowed, you rowed this way and there was a coxswain in front of you and the coxswain had his eyes on the finish line or the target and the coxswain steered the vessel, but you were looking at the coxswain and you were rowing to his beat or her beat. Here's the thing, as leaders, we don't know where we're going all the time but we know that the one that we're taking our cues from has his eyes on where we're going. And we look to him. Second, he doesn't just call us stewards. He says we're stewards of the mysteries of God. First we belong to Christ, and then the mysteries we handle, they too belong to God. Mystery here, Paul has the good news of God redeeming the world and the cosmos to himself through Christ. And these things were hidden for ages but they have been made revealed in this final age to his Saints and what we get to do leaders is to remind people of the power of God so great at work in them what we get to do leaders is remind people of the home that is being prepared for them by the Lord Jesus we get to marble and make much of God's grace to us in Christ Jesus we get to remind people that God is At work in them to conform us to the likeness of Jesus. We get to remind people that our bodies don't belong to us. They belong to him. And we can glorify God with our bodies. We're reminding people of Christ's return when he will dress himself for service. And we will be presented back to him in splendor and beauty. We don't have to come up with what to say. God has mysteries upon mysteries and treasure. And he tells us to come and savor and then speak. And what is required of stewards? Verse 2, it says that they should be found faithful. It doesn't say that they should be successful or perfect or brilliant or famous or powerful or innovative. It's required of stewards, be faithful. Do God's work in God's way and then go die and come home to be with me forever. Number three, because Paul belongs to Christ and leaders belong to Christ, judgment is never ultimately in the hands of people. Look at verse three. It is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or any human court. In fact, I don't even judge myself for I'm not aware of anything against myself, but that does not make me acquitted. Now think of what Paul might in our day and age. Well, here's what we might say. You can't judge me. And the only thing that matters about me is what I think about me. That's not what Paul says. Paul says Your judgment or your opinion or your perspective, it doesn't crush me, but neither does my own. I'm not acquitted on what I think or you think. You know where I find acquittal? It's what God thinks. And one day God is returning and Jesus will make it all right. And I love that last section. It says, and we will receive our commendation from the Lord. So when Jesus returns, it isn't just about fire kind of burning up the things that we've done that won't last. There is a positive side of the return of Jesus, and it's when Jesus will commend his servants. Fourth, Paul knows the fatherhood of God. That whole rod language and love language, that's coming from the Bible. That sometimes it's unloving. It's unloving to not discipline. And what Paul is saying is, I know the Lord disciplines those he loves. And if he doesn't discipline us, he's treating us as illegitimate children, but let discipline do its work. It's going to conform you more and more to the image of the Lord. And fifth, we leaders get the honor to suffer for Christ in the service of his people, that they might be saved and further sanctified. And you heard me right. We get the honor, right? Write this down. We get the honor to suffer. And that sounds so paradoxical, and it sounds so crazy, and it is not the way that we typically think about honor. We get the honor of suffering in the service of christ for the saving and sanctifying of his people now here now track with me so i think what paul would have us to do if y'all take notes make two columns and on one column put what the corinthians had or thought they had and on the other column put what the apostles the leaders got and here's what you're going to see what did the Corinthians have or think they have? Look at verse eight. Already you have all you want. This is sarcasm. Already you have become rich. Already you have become kings. Verse 10, you are wise. Verse 10, you are strong. Verse 10, you are held in honor. Verse 12, you and others revile us. You and others persecute us. You and others slander us. And so notice that, 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 that list It's these things that the Corinthians have or think they have. Now put that up and against Paul. Look at verse nine. You're rich. You're kings. You reign. For I think that God has exhibited us apostles as last of all. Men sentenced to death. We're a spectacle to the world. We're in theater on the world to angels and to men. We're fools We're weak. We're in disrepute. We hunger and thirst and are poorly dressed and buffeted and are homeless. And we labor working with our own hands. Notice the contrast. Paul is sentenced to death. He's hungry. He's thirsty. He's poorly dressed. He labors with his own hands. He is a fool. He is weak. He is in disrepute. And yet, what does he do? He blesses. He endures. He entreats and encourages. Now, you know what we've seen that list before? You've seen it in the gospel, haven't you? Haven't you? What will we say about Jesus? He is homeless. He is poorly dressed. He is slandered. He is reviled. He is the refuse of the world. He is a scum. And what do we inherit? We become kings. And we rule with him. And we become rich in and towards the Lord. And we slandered him. And we crucified him. In other words, there is a paradox at work that in order for the gospel to become the gospel and the good news, the good news is one stood in your place condemned. One was lowered that you might be exalted. One was crushed that you might live. And so when Paul talks about anyone leading after Jesus, you know what he's saying? The same paradox must be true. That if we're going to lead, we're going to lead and make Jesus beautiful by suffering. We're gonna be sleepless and in prayer at night and our people will be sleeping and we're gonna carry hardship and wade into darkness and it will crush your soul and you will not be given over and your people will live. You will find that comfort and comfort them with the same comfort you found in Jesus. This is what Paul means by us as leaders filling up the afflictions of Jesus. This is the way of the cross that we suffer, we go without, we die, we hurt, we ache. And the people live. So the power to do this comes from following after Jesus. What would it be like If you guys prayed this for your leaders, that we will be servants, spiritual parents, stewards, what would it look like if we learn to take joy in dying? What would it look like for you to trust that God is at work? through leadership that is godly and beautiful to sanctify you until the day of Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you so much that you give us leadership par excellence. We see it in the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is not just our example. He is our hope. He is our power. He is our anchor. He is our enabler. Father, I pray for our church, our visible expression of the body of Christ. May we be a place, Lord, where we lead well and we are led well. May this be a place, Lord, where we all bring all of our ideas to the cross of Christ and trust that you are wise and that you will work in and through us and this body to present us holy and blameless in your sight. Do this for Jesus' sake, we pray. Amen.